Most people who are fishing in the High Sierra don't realize that number one, the fish weren't native, and number two, the fish they caught may have come out of an airplane two or three or four years prior. I'm Lisa Morehouse, and this is California Foodways. I'm traveling to every county in the state, finding stories about food, agriculture, and the people that make both possible. Today's show is in the Eastern Sierra. Many people driving the 395 highway here during the summer have come for the trout fishing, even though trout aren't native here. For over a century, people have gone to crazy lengths to keep lakes and streams stocked. This is a story about trout, but it starts at a little airport just outside the Eastern Sierra town of Bishop. A tiny Department of Fish and Wildlife plane's getting loaded with thousands of rainbow trout fingerlings. 2021 and 22, Lower Long Lake. It'll fly between snowy Sierra peaks and drop the fish to stock high country lakes. I'm not getting in that plane, so up goes our intern, Lacey Jane Roberts. Wow, oh my gosh. Wow, it feels like a video game. Pulling down about 200 feet above the water. And you hear the sound of the drop and you hear the... And the plane continues down the Sierra, releasing 45,000 fish in lake after lake. Most people who are fishing in the High Sierra don't realize that, number one, the fish weren't native. Roland Knapp is with the UC Sierra Nevada Aquatic Research Lab. And number two, the fish they caught may have come out of an airplane two or three or four years prior, and before that, a hatchery. Would you believe a fish story in which a transport plane is loaded with 400,000 rainbow trout? Aerial stocking started just after World War II. Our chief pilot was a B-24 Liberator pilot down the South Pacific. That's fish biologist Phil Peaster. For 40 years, he worked with what was then called the Department of Fish and Game, managing a thousand bodies of water in the eastern Sierra, many in the backcountry. Fish should be dropped out of an airplane much more economically than you could if you load them onto a horse or a mule. Which is how early fish stocking was done. Roland Knapp. They first came here largely on the mules of miners and prospectors and others like that. So they were putting fish in the high country for food. Into lakes they saw as barren, says Peaster. The first one I'm aware of is 1876. When a Civil War colonel came to the area. Set up a sawmill way up about 10,000 feet and brought I think it was 13 golden trout in a coffee pot on his horse. And planted them in a nearby creek. Late 1800s, the interest became recreation. And so that's when you began seeing fish propagated in hatcheries. A job government agencies took on. Which is how I end up in a DFW truck fitted with tanks, carrying 2,400 pounds of fish, headed for release into easily accessible lakes. Fish technician Tony Ambrose. When we go out here, people are all excited and happy, and you're almost like rock stars. Morning, guys. How are you guys doing? As a small crowd gathers at the edge of Convict Lake, Ambrose releases 
thousands of fish. And here is the magic moment. Gail O'Dell's with her family of anglers from Orange County. Our daughter's over there, and this is our grandson. She says fishing gives them something nothing else can. Relaxing, fun, good conversation, away from technology, away from the problems of the world, just enjoying the beauty that God created. And rainbow trout's delicious. It's good eating. Those moments are key to the economies of Inyo and Mono counties, where fishing lures nearly half of all tourists. It's such an important source of jobs and income that eastern Sierra communities pay extra to make sure that nearby lakes are stocked. But the introduction of trout into eastern Sierra waters hasn't worked out as well for native species, says Roland Knapp. Trout basically eat themselves out of house and home. They will eat anything that they can wrap their jaws around, understandably. They're predators. And trout found plenty to eat in those so-called barren lakes, including the mountain yellow-legged frog. Knapp and a team spent much of the 90s surveying 7,000 Sierra lakes, ponds, and puddles. Their conclusion? Where there are trout, there are no native frogs or invertebrates. And that made him pretty unpopular in some circles. And I totally understand why somebody might get upset about some scientists saying, hey, these fish are having negative effects, and they're talking about your favorite lake to go fishing in. <laughs> Typical people reaction, you know, something is really of no value unless you can eat it. In the early 60s, Phil Peaster made a similar discovery about the toll trout were taking on native species. He led two researchers out here. Well, this is a place we call Fish Slough. It's in southern Mono County on the east slope of the Sierra Nevada. A desert wetlands outside Bishop. Their thinking was that water diversions and the introduction of trout had killed off all native fish, including one called the Owens pupfish. But they wanted to make sure. We took dip nets and buckets. We got out there mucking around in the marsh. And discovered pupfish still living. Peaster knew at that moment he'd spend his career focusing on them more than recreational fishing. They're important because they're part of the biota that evolved here since the beginning of time. We showed up later. So how to find a balance between native species and recreation? Biologist Roland Knapp. There's no doubt in my mind that fish and fishing provides a very direct connection between people and the land. And sometimes you have to trade off what's best for native species and what's best for that more challenging thing to define, which is how we relate to this landscape. The state still stocks the eastern Sierra with trout, nearly 2 million a year. But aerial stocking has been scaled back, and nearby national parks stopped planting in the 90s. And researchers like Knapp work with agencies that eradicate trout from some Sierra lakes, allowing the recovery of native frogs and other species. Here's where the fish went. This is the best spring we've got. As the sun sets on fish slough. Phil Peaster shows us one fragile result of this balancing act, the Owens Valley Native Fish Sanctuary. Oh, they're little fish. Yeah, that's, that's one of them, pupfish. Yeah? It's one of a handful of spots where the endangered Owens pupfish lives, in the middle of a region where millions of trout are planted every year. In the spawning process, they're chasing each other around. This is really neat. Made the whole trip worthwhile. That's it for this episode of California Foodways. 
This story was reported and produced by me, Lisa Morehouse. It originally aired on KQED's California Report magazine and was made possible by a grant from the Fund for Environmental Journalism. Our theme music is by Takanobu, and Ariel Plotnik produces the podcast. We receive support from FERN, the Food and Environment Reporting Network, and from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. You can learn more at calhum.org. Subscribe to California Foodways on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow CA Foodways on social media and visit our website, californiafoodways.com. <laughs>